0: Welcome to Mason Institute Investigates, a podcast series produced by the Mason Institute funded by the Edinburgh Law School. In each episode, we investigate current national and global issues involving ethics, law and policy in health, medicine and the life sciences. Welcome to the podcast series from the Public Health Ethics and Law Research Network, an academic collaboration between the University of Edinburgh, University College Cork, and Queen's University Belfast. Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Farrell. I'm Professor of Medical Jurisprudence at Edinburgh Law School. I'm here on this podcast today, speaking with Professor Mary Donnelly from the School of Law at University College Cork, and we're going to be speaking about COVID-19 vaccination ethics in practice. Our particular focus will be on developments that have taken place in the UK and Ireland, and we also have a specific focus on North South issues on the island of Ireland. And a lot of the examples we'll be drawing on will be focused on North South issues on the island of Ireland for a number of reasons. First, it's a great case study in terms of looking at both commonality and difference um, in terms of the approach to vaccination policies and how that plays out in practice. But equally Northern Ireland must and was required to take account of UK policy making and practices in the area. And the Republic of Ireland was uh, I suppose fitted or um, subject to regulations that came from the European Union. So we're looking at both things happening locally as well as beyond the nation state in terms of working out and examining how ethics in practice happens when you're in the midst of a public health emergency and you're trying to vaccinate your population. So that's our focus today. I'd just like to hand over to Mary now to introduce us, uh, introduce herself, but also. Uh, to talk about how we're going to approach the podcast
1: today super thank you very much january uh, and it's it's very nice to be here on this podcast um so we've identified uh, three issues that we're going to talk about a lot of our uh thinking in this i suppose has developed following a webinar which uh we organized uh and which was where we had speakers from the republic of ireland with uh, dr Shawnee newbrien who is uh, a member of method we had uh, Patricia Donnelly from, from Northern Ireland, which has headed up the vaccination, very successful vaccination program in Northern Ireland. And we have Professor Dave Archer, who is of course the chair of the Northfield um, Commission. So we, we gained a huge amount in terms of our understanding uh, uh, from, from those conversations. We're, we've identified three themes which we think came out uh, from, from a lot of the discussions we've been involved in. First is that issue of ethical preparedness, Uh, where and to what extent Ireland and Northern Ireland, but the world more generally, the UK and and indeed everywhere else, how ethically prepared were we when um, these issues, uh, these incredibly important ethical issues, emerged in the context of of the COVID-19 vaccination programme? We're then going to talk a little bit about choice and supply and some quite interesting differences uh, which have emerged there. And then finally, between Ireland and Northern Ireland, I should say, And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the role of time and temporality. And also, I suppose, on the ongoing nature of this, it's a dynamic, it's a fluid process. And we'll talk about some developments. And of course, these developments will continue long after we talk. So, uh, Amri, I might turn to you uh, first to, to lead us off on ethical preparedness and some of the, the main issues which you saw emerging uh, in, in that regard.
0: Yes, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting area and it encompasses both values that may underpin uh, particular jurisdictions or countries, social, cultural, um, a range of issues in that regard, um, and also geographical as well, but also goes more broadly to questions of how we view each other as citizens, um, both to questions, broader questions around equality and inequalities that are already existing in a given society. But when you have something like COVID 19, when you have a public health emergency, those already existing access problems, inequalities, how we look at citizenship how we view questions such as justice and solidarity, for example, can come to the fore, can be made plain, can be exacerbated in the context of an emergency situation. So one of the key things we wanted to look at is how did that play out in terms of the COVID-19 vaccination program? And some of the things that became apparent was that already entrenched inequalities, whether it's socioeconomic, cultural, uh, racial, ethnicity, um, presented problems in terms of these particular groups accessing vaccines um, and even uh, being in a space where they wish to do so. So for example, if you've got a particular age group um, or a particular gender, or a particular ethnicity that are not used to accessing healthcare services, then it's going to be particularly difficult for you to even then contemplate um, undergoing a COVID-19 vaccination. So, for example, those in charge of vaccination programs were confronting this. For example, across the board, you can devise prioritisation groups but you need nuance and you need to be prepared and understand the values um, and the inequalities that already exist to have a range of graduated alternative options that might be time consuming or high value, but you'll ensure that you reach that group. Now, if you've not done that preparedness before the emergency hits, you're already at a disadvantage. So the whole idea that you can devise a vaccine priority program without having done that preparedness work is deeply pr- problematic and produces problems with translating your values into
1: practice. And, and I think, um, I mean, I think that that was so clearly kind of so clear from the discussion we had. And in some ways, we did, or they did, they, they those those developed delivering vaccination programs in, we'd say Ireland and all did remarkably well, given how ethically underprepared we were as a. as do societies and I suppose that that was you know we were fortunate to have sort of thoughtful careful people um, trying to deal with these questions but that that's to some extent um, as much good luck it certainly isn't because of a huge amount of ethical preparedness and and even thinking about ethical questions I mean again I suppose we were very fortunate to to have Dave talking about the North Commission and the work that they do but you know we don't have an equivalent, for example, in the Republic of Ireland. We don't have kind of we we had a council for bioethics that was disbanded back in uh, 2012. So so we we you know that grounding in preparedness is has been something which which is it has been very much an absent. And I suppose that's one of the real lessons of the the, the COVID 19 experience in general, and indeed obviously specifically the vaccination program is why it is important to think about these things before emergencies arise, before you, you hit into a, a situation of, of, of emergency. I suppose one of the things, Emily, which I found really interesting was the way, the different ways in which access issues were dealt with. Um, I mean, Patricia Donnelly, for example, talked really interestingly about some of the The really, I suppose, creative methods which were used in Northern Ireland to try to get, and both our speakers talked about this, but uh, about this notion of getting the vaccine to the person. Uh, You know, she had some very interesting examples of that.
0: Yes. And uh, for example, if you've uh, got a, uh, she, did provide this example of a middle-aged man who um, is in a socioeconomic deprived area. They're not accessing health services. So even if you set up a pop-up clinic um, at the local pharmacy or in the local town hall, they're still not going to access that. So you have to be able to meet with various people in that community to say, how do we get that vaccine mm-hmm. to them? Take, uh, for example, a range of migrant communities working in meat processing plants, mm-hmm. um, whether on both sides of the border, for example, how do you get? you know, even highly motivated employers who want their employees vaccinated, but they won't come forward. And, you know, it was very clear whether it was north or south, they didn't want to be engaged in coercive activity around vaccination. But how do you be sensitive to various communities, but also get the vaccine to them? So, for example, uh, Patricia Donnelly highlighted that even bringing a pop-up clinic to a meat processing plant wasn't delivering on that. So you need to go and talk to those communities. It is time-consuming, but if you can get them to agree, and in that case, she said they wanted particular representative members of the community to come forward and be vaccinated, and if something didn't happen to them, then the rest of the community would come forward. So simply having a top-down motivation is not enough. You needed grassroots, localised approach, pop-up clinics, and you needed the time and resources to do it. The high value, if you're in charge of a vaccination programme, is that you get these hard-to-reach, difficult individuals and communities, um, and it enables you to get a fully vaccinated uh, population, which is the overall aim, but it's not easy. So the whole idea of neutrality, one size fits all, that Mm -hmm. you can set out neatly in a, you know, vaccinate this population that population it's not how it works in practice and I think Patricia Donnelly also brought that out in relation to how we look at carers so how do you define a carer it covers different age groups Um, carers often have to go through a huge amount of difficulties even to be recognized as carers Um, they're often uh, predominantly women Um, and you know they have to go through a lot of hoops to be recognized so to getting getting them to justify themselves again in order to be vaccinated she wanted some sensitivity in that area, but it took a lot of work working to get them to come forward, working with other local allied healthcare professionals to identify this group of people. Um, but to be sensitive about how this worked in the social context of Northern Ireland was particularly important.
1: And I suppose it is that issue of sensitivity, which to you know different religious groupings, different cultural, different social groupings, um, and 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 the importance of of recognizing that and having ways to think about that. Because again, in in terms of preparedness, um, we we were, I think, fortunate that that there was a degree of sensitivity and an awareness of the complexities of situations, but um, there could have been a lot more thinking in advance. Prior to the the the, this particular crisis, prior to this particular emergency, about engagement, and that I suppose is one of the very valuable lessons. Though, is sensitivity, understanding. One of the things that I thought was really positive was, you know, nobody had an act a preference for coercion. A real concern that coercion was was inappropriate. and, and that I think is 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 important and actually probably will be quite important moving forward. Um, and, and of course, how we how the gray the space between coercion and vaccine passports, which I guess was something else, which we talked about, and how how that space uh, and indeed coercion in particular work functions. I mean, it's quite a complex space, and that became very, very obvious. Um, but that issue of engagement and of respect—I suppose—I thought that, that a strong message coming through was the significance of respect for cultural, religious, social situations, um, and 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 a, and a rejection of the top-down kind of model. And that may explain at least some of the success, because on both sides of the the, the border, I think you'd have to say there ha- the vaccination programs have been or are being successes in terms of uptake it's in a, a really good Definitely. uptake there um
0: certainly they both uh, dr navreen but also trish donnelly mm. pointed to the fact that certainly um above the over 50s for example mm. is hugely successful mm. there need to be a bit more nuanced
1: mm. um
0: in the under 50s and look at particularly the young population um 30 and under how do you get them vaccinated and the need to again showing mm. respect and and the risk benefit calculus is a bit different. Um, as a result, uh, different choice models around uh, uh, vaccination as well. Um, so they are, um, were all important considerations. So you've got that initial stage of in an emergency situation, trying to avoid mortality, um, just get everyone vaccinated. Um, and that was the key thing to a more um, nuanced approach when you've got shall we say more time, or you've got different risk benefit calculations going on. I suppose it might bring us to our second point around choice and supply. And what we both noticed in the presentations as between North and South on the island um, is that particularly during the first and maybe second waves, uh, you're looking at supply being a predominant frame, uh, structuring the way in which vaccination vaccination program in Ireland was taking place. Um, I'm not saying uh, supply was never an issue in the north, but um, there seemed to be more opportunities to make decisions um, around choice. Um, And there was a greater availability, for example, of AstraZeneca to get the more elderly population vaccinated fairly quickly. Um, Whereas, uh, would you agree, Mary, it was a bit different um, in Ireland? Yeah,
1: I mean, I suppose one of the things which we found as we kind of talked through with, say, ethical issues was how many of them came back to that issue of supply, uh, you know, and the way things panned out. Um, so it did take the, 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 the programme, the vaccination programme, longer to roll out uh, in supply terms in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and that meant that certain kinds of issues which arose in Northern Ireland arose in a different way. In in the Republic of Ireland. But then similarly, there were issues in the Republic of Ireland which didn't arise at all in, in Northern Ireland. So supply was was not just obviously an enormous practical issue, but it had significant implications for the way in which issues around choice, issues around av- availability, and issues around prioritization played out. So I suppose if we start with maybe Northern Ireland, where as you say, Anne-Marie. You had um, much less of a, a, a kind of bottleneck, so there was a very clear bottleneck uh, in in the Republic of Ireland, and and really access was was a very significant. But it continues to 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 be an issue, although that 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 bottleneck has now been kind of fairly fairly well moved on. But from a Northern Irish perspective, I think if we if we look back to some of the things which Patricia talked about, Marie, it was very much um, about Kind of dealing with waste, uh, you know, wastes, you know, ensuring everybody was absolutely obsessed with ensuring there was no waste, which I think was a very legitimate measure, but dealt with in quite different ways in in north and south.
0: Yes, yeah, so certainly it, it did come through in Impris Donnelly's talk that they gave a great deal of prior thought to the issue of waste, and they had a, a graduated, incrementalist approach with people on standby, different. groups. <sighs> prioritized to ensure nothing was wasted. And something that I've been reflecting on based on what she talked about is that, particularly in the Northern Ireland context, that need to be prepared to take account of different uh, views of different groups um, in Northern Ireland society, Again, we talk about preparedness. Well, that was there before the pandemic because of the nature of the sectarian conflict, the nature of power sharing um, in the North um, and managing grievance and discrimination as a result and the need to acknowledge um, the importance of equality in that context. So in that sense, you can see that playing out. We may talk about waste, um, but it was more profound than that in terms of uh, underlying it was the need to take account of this before you entered into a situation where uh, waste became an issue because what they didn't want to happen that was that somebody received a vaccination where they shouldn't have a group was prioritized over another this has stronger roots in northern ireland across a range of social cultural, and political issues so they had to think that through Um, in a very detailed way. Um, And something that struck me as I was listening to both Siobhan Le and Patricia Donnelly is that the approach in Ireland was a bit different. And perhaps you'd like to comment on that a bit more.
1: Yes, and it was uh, very interesting because Ireland, and I think the way Siobhan Le put it was, we we, we learned, we had to learn fast. Uh, And one of the reasons for that was because there was no policy on waste, remarkably, when when you think about it. there was no policy on waste until we had some, uh, I suppose, real solidar- solidarity challenging uh, events, and there were a couple of events which gave rise to to, to particular concern. One of which, uh, and at, at this stage, we were vaccinating in hospitals only, so this was yeah. way back at the beginning. And one of which was where <coughs> excess uh, vaccine was used, and and. Uh, at that point, it was the son, I think, that the child uh, of, of one of the um, consultants uh, in the particular hospital, who was maybe 1920 had received the vaccination. And that caused huge anger. There was also an, an example of, of teachers in a, in, a, in a school at which the CEO of another hospital had been attending, receiving the vaccination. In both cases, it was excess vaccine. But in both cases, it caused huge anger because it really challenged that solidarity, um, almost requirement. People were accepting, I mean, people were annoyed that the vaccine was taking a long time to conclude, but people accepted it on a solidarity basis, on the basis of need. But when that got challenged, and when you saw the vaccine being delivered to people that it didn't seem fair, didn't seem appropriate, uh, there was a lot of real anger. So waste policies, um, which had already been put in place in Northern Ireland, and I think what you say, saying is probably very true, which is that, that issue of balancing different communities was much more part of the Northern Irish DNA than it was um, in, in, in the Republic. Waste policies were of course then put in place, but it was interesting that it took some events, some really solidarity challenging events um, to happen, before uh, those waste policies were were put in place. And it does say some interesting things about the two different cultures.
0: Yes, and something that struck me also with Dave Archer's comments in talking about beyond the UK and Ireland um, and into other countries is that broader notion of solidarity um, underpinned by broad concerns around justice. Um, And that when you don't have ethical preparedness, then um, things are left to drift. And then you get particular issues, such as you get around waste, um, that, uh, as you correctly describe it, is solidarity challenging. But when that hasn't been agreed, um, some people are assuming we're all acting in solidarity, and yet other groups are saying not. Now, I would say in the North, there's not that assumption of solidarity. So they had to think it through. Maybe there was an assumption in Ireland that it would be there, but then it wasn't. Um, but then you have to reset both politically and in your policy making to um, embed that, which I think uh, Siobhan Noreen said we learnt fast yeah. um, but again, yeah. I think we would all agree it's not ideal that you mm-hmm. need to come prepared, um but there go to bigger issues about how we organize our societies mm-hmm. and what the values are that underpin it and how they link into our broader Politics and our governments, and I think that's where the connections are not really have not really been made in an emergency situation and in the absence of preparedness.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's 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 very very true. It it sort of leaves things there, uh, I mean I would think that class was a huge issue in the Irish instance, a feeling of of class, of, of privilege, issues of privilege, um, so, so that issue of of. Uh, certain groups being privileged because of you know their social class the the son of the consultant etc etc um and i think that that was was really important um i think in a sense it it didn't cause things to unravel but i think it might have if it hadn't been been dealt with um because because similarly um particularly in the instance of you know again The longer the delay was, the longer people were waiting. And we're talking about people here who had been maybe isolating either for themselves or because they were caring for someone for over 12 months at that stage. So people who had really been suffering hardship and it really hurt, I think, to see this kind of old style kind of privileging of, of, of certain classes. Hopefully that lesson has been learned. But it's certainly a lesson I think would, needs to be bedded down in terms of, of understanding. This wasn't an isolated incident. This was something which speaks, as you say, to a much deeper, deeper questions about society. I think, and, and that's yeah, so I think important. that um,
0: you bring up a, 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 an interesting issue there that leads into our sort of final area mm-hmm. that we want to talk about, which is the time and temporality issue. Again, it's a frame, isn't it? That Mm. highlights the the ethical, social, legal Mm. dynamics at stake in the vaccination programs. So you've got people waiting for 12 months. Mm. Um, So there's this long extended time, time Mm. passing where they don't engage in their normal average everyday lives and yet they see before them entitlement. Um, so it highlights already existing inequalities or differences wow. in society through the through the mechanism of time, doesn't it? And it's something that uh, I think came out in everybody's uh, talk in different ways what time meant. If you're running a vaccination program in Northern Ireland, Patricia Donnelly would say, um, "I didn't have the time. I had to get it right at the start. And if I didn't get it right at the start in terms of messaging, in terms of identifying vulnerable groups um, and doing outreach, then." I lost that group um, and I needed to get them back. And it was, it was made much more difficult as a result. So uh, you didn't have time to waste. You didn't have time to, you had to quickly change tack um, as new information came. So that sense, as we've spoken about, of changeability um, and needing to respond to get the messaging right, to be transparent, to get out there to those vulnerable groups um, in the interests of the whole population.
1: And I mean, that that was so true. And I think we, we felt that, that the whole situation regarding pregnant women was one of those examples where valuable time uh, had been lost in a sense. And, and that, again, brings us back to other inequalities. Like, again, when we think of time and, you know, one of the issues was this issue we're dealing with an emergency, but you know, the question which arises is, well, you know that's only an excuse to a certain extent there are a lot of things which created the context for this emergency so for example the fact that pregnant women were not uh part of the tested cohort and therefore it was very very in, in the clinical trials leading up to the development of the vaccine so that it then became a much more risky you know or, or certainly was perceived as a much more risky in terms of of vaccination of pregnant women and and, and valuable time and and I suppose, support for the vaccine, much more vaccine hesitancy in evidence among pregnant women. And, and again, messaging there, which changed as the understandings developed. But that point which you made, which is if you get that message out initially and, and then things change, it's very, very difficult to backpedal to get us back to the position we would, would have been in if, if, if that message had not gone out. Um, so, yeah. so that, that issue of of equality, and I suppose gender, because actually gender popped up in all sorts of unexpected places, um both in terms of pregnancy but also the mammy factor, which uh, I think after uh, she Donnelly talked about very nicely,
0: yes, and i, I think you're right that the uh... Uh, The messaging is only as good as the prior values and structures and underpinnings that are in place. So if you have a traditional approach in clinical research to exclude people who are pregnant, uh, women who are pregnant, for example, then um, all of that follows through. In terms of well, you you have we can't say whether you should be vaccinated. Um, we're not sure. Oh yes, no, it's okay. We've now finally tested this in clinical mm. research. Yes, you can be. But again, um you've already got women um uh, depicted as yeah. risky bodies in medicine mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. clinical research um, and it all follows through um, in terms of women making decisions for themselves in that broader environment about whether they put themselves forward for vaccination but there are knock-on effects for those groups who, who for whatever reason through due to structural or other inequalities or discrimination may not come forward for vaccination um, and that can go to things like we we talk about vaccine passports or immunisation certificates, and you did mention that before, but it it goes to, well, if a a woman who is pregnant decides not to be vaccinated, what are the implications for her employment? For example, if she's required to show that she's now got that passport or certificate. Um, So that whole idea of values and discrimination impacting uh, more broadly, that it's not just a, a question of travel, um, and being vaccinated and being able to evidence that. I mean, that's very much a first world issue as well. Um, there's vast swathes of the population that's not engaged in the sort of travel we are able to do in the developed world. And we need to keep that in mind. But the whole idea of declaring yourself as having been double jabbed immunisation is a reflection, too, of where you're situated as an individual um, and how yourself, your body, your community is viewed more broadly um, in the employment space, in travel, in accessing a range of services, Um, for example, parks or other leisure venues, if you're not vaccinated, does that mean you're excluded from
1: civil society? And and that, I suppose, uh, is probably as good a place as any for us to bring this to, this discussion to an end, which is, uh, I suppose, one of the big lessons which we've learned is just how how complex vaccination is um, and how much it tells us not just about its own specifics, but also about the um, the context in which vaccination is. That would be, would you agree, I mean, one of the big lessons, which is this is This shows and shines a light, not just on the processes around vaccination, but on all sorts of processes, all sorts of inequalities, all sorts of access issues, which run far, far deeper than just the vaccine, which is not to diminish the vaccination, the significance of that, but which are far, far deeper than just the vaccination process.
0: Yes, Mary, I would absolutely agree. And it provides a great case study. Um, and also looking at north-south issues on the island, a great case study for bigger, more general issues um, about how, what we value in our society, um, and also who we value. Um, And how we manage that. Um, So the three issues we highlighted ethical preparedness uh, choice versus supply and time and temporality are really interesting frames in which we've been able to examine those bigger picture issues in the context of the covid 19 vaccination program. So we'd like to bring this podcast to a close. You've been hearing from um, Professor Amory Farrell and Professor Mary Donnelly. Um, we are investigators on a project looking at public health ethics law um, in the context of a network developing in the UK and Ireland. It's funded by the Economic, Social and Research Council, as well as the Irish Research Council. And uh, uh, this is a great uh, opportunity to examine these issues through the lens of COVID-19 and the vaccination program. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: This has been a production of Edinburgh Law School at the University of Edinburgh. Thank you for listening to this podcast we hope that you enjoyed it for further information check out the links in the show notes of this episode stay tuned for the next episode where professor farrell speaks with dr alexandra mullock from the university of manchester to discuss dr mullock's research into the role of criminal law in managing harm caused by medical doctors see you next time